Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by Andrew Pollard today in the absence of Michael Hamflin and Adam Wilborn. But don't worry, as far as B-level guests go, he's more Canadian stampede than Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel. Uh, but before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on uh, Apple, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, uh, Dynamite, Rampage, premium live events, pay-per-views. We have wrestler interviews, some of which are conducted by the great man Pollard himself, roundtable discussions. We sometimes answer your wrestling questions, and we host, maybe not this week, a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. So, Pollard, again, you've got previous made. Please do not swear. And also, what we tend to do is give a general overview of what you thought the show was like. Yeah, I like the intro. I'll take those comparisons all day, brother. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Mr. Velocity, right here. Uh, yeah, I, as, a, as an overall picture, I just thought it was a really strong episode of the Dynamite. Uh, there, was, there was lots to enjoy. Uh, the, the good massively outweighed the bad, and the bad that there was wasn't actually that bad. So, it was very much, uh, it felt almost like a little bit of a course correct in certain regards to certain niggles I had about diving deep deep into it, but just like, like just as off the top of my head, the FDR uh, element where it's like, we're actually going to challenge for the tag titles now. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's been such a bugbear for me. But yeah, it felt like it was kind of a, a, a not a steering of the ship or steadying the ship. It didn't need particularly steadying, but it just felt like a very smart, sensible, well-booked, dare I say it, um, solar dynamite. Yeah, absolutely. There was stuff that um, has needed to be ignited in the main event picture. It was. There were core issues with the tag team title division that were addressed in a way that I find really quite thrilling and even bold. And uh, there was a lot of the minimal bollocks. Okay. You're right to say bollocks, by the way. It's just the F word, C word, and the word that they love mm. most on Dynamite, and it begins with an S and an H, all three of those. Are you can even drop twat. a twat if you twat. want. Twat. Like cack. Twat. Twat. Cack. Bollocks. Mm. That kind of wheelhouse. But yeah, like... I've reached a stage with AEW where this year in particular, like, I don't want to say the blooms come off the rose, but to a degree, I think a lot of the magic has gone. And instead of this show that the invention behind which, like, really used to blow my mind, I feel like it's become more of a sturdy, solid, like, you know, when a great band realizes what they kind of do and they drop some seven out of 10 studio albums and you think they're great, but the highs aren't what they were. That's how I would, it's my latest dynamite analogy. Um, but yeah, there were certain things that didn't happen this week that have been happening too much. Even something as minor as the backstage interruptions. And yes, we got a couple of them, but yeah, it just felt like they kind of know what they're doing again. And then it was cursed by the end. But regardless, we'll put over the effort in the, in the main event before we talk about um, the really sort of abrupt resolution um, of it. But the show began with Death Triangle versus Best Friends for the trio's title. And uh, we haven't really talked much about the style of pro wrestling, Pollard, so I'm interested in your take on it. I would say that, look, this is Death Triangle versus Best Friends. You know exactly what you're going to get into. 
Um, I was quite pleased by how brief this match was. Like it didn't go five minutes. I think it went about 12, but ultimately I think they've stumbled um, with the two ad break 20 plus minute trios matches because this match more than any really sort of uh, sort of really relies on a sense of momentum and it can't stop and the action just sort of intensifies and gets progressively more mind-blowing when they slow it down it's not like a heel working um a limb over it's just a bit of a soul crushing all right but they managed it perfectly i thought here um no use going spot by spot it was simply too exhilarating and convoluted uh, but you got the three stereo dives uh, from Lucha Brothers uh, and Pac onto the best friends. Uh, you got like a really good super kick spot where they all just aim their feet into Cassidy's temple. And the main storyline thread is that Phoenix took umbrage with Pac using the hammer. And I've got some very naive thoughts on what might that what that might imply after I get your thoughts, Pollard. But my favorite spot of the match, and great, it was the finish, so it peaked at the correct time, was I will watch Penta do that sort of Phoenix launch pad destroyer every day. I think it's fantastic. And yet, I loved how they subverted that and Trent located the counter into the Storm Zero. Perfect twist. That move's never, as I recall, has been countered. And it just complemented what Trent can do in his signature repertoire perfectly well. Uh, but ultimately, Death Triangle do, in fact, get the clean win. And there's still some tension. I, I, I like there. the what fact that you used what you mentioned, this? Trent, because I think sometimes he maybe doesn't get enough love. So I think that guy's just so good, so smooth in the ring. It's a lot of what he does, it isn't flashy necessarily. It's just it's just really fluid, really smooth, really you don't really see him. There's no mistakes for Trent Barrett. He's just a very talented professional wrestler, especially in this sort of wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, and to me, personally, my, my style of wrestling that I like a lot of the time isn't necessarily the spot for spot for spot for spot. Sometimes these matches can become, but this was that sort of action done really, really well. And just Death Triangle encapsulate how to make that style work for any audience who watch it. It's not just not to go to the old cliche of terms, but it's not flips for the sake of flips. It's it, it's just, it builds, like you said, to a crescendo to the, the big parts of the matches that get you on the edge of your seat and you want to see more. And the timing is great of, you don't want to obviously welcome these matches, but likewise, you want to, it's just this frenetic pace. Uh, and I thought Death Triangle just looked great in this. I, I thought, like I said, Trent looked great. I thought Orange Cassidy looked great. Chuck Taylor's there. Um, I mean, Ch Chucky T's there. It's so funny how you mentioned that because one of my favorite quirks is listening to Wrestling Observer Radio, knowing that I'm going to hear the same thing every single time. And I'm not saying Dave Meltz is like deprived of takes or anything like that, but he's got his quirks. And whenever he um, analyzes a match, poor Chucky T, he's like, hey, he was, he, was, he was good. Everyone else is great. Phoenix did this thing that blew my mind. Pack stuff looks as hard as nails and it's oh, so yeah. impactful. Yeah, yeah, Chuck Taylor's good as well. It's love that. You know what? But he did. I did a role. It's not as spectacular, and this sort of um, match doesn't really get the most out of what he can do, which he can be sort of a really endearing babyface at times. It can be a really good prick heel, and maybe it is time to go in that direction with him, actually. But yeah, I thought this match was strong, and I did find it. I'm going to be a naive pipe dreamer here, Pollard. I'm thinking, right, why are you teasing dissension within Death Triangle when you have launched the trio's title at the exact time there's been there's never, there's never been fewer trios in AEW. Like when it was first mooted, you had like Jurassic Express. They've subsequently split up. You obviously had the Elite. You had about 10 different iterations of the Dark Order at the time. And now that um, faction just barely exists. Um, you had like two, three different variations of the Pinnacle. Then Red Dragon. The Jericho Appreciation. Then Red Dragon. Was, that was the big yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. So now... They are there are fewer trios than ever, and now their flagship sort of we're carrying the division kind of trio. There's going to be dissension. This can only mean Paul that the elite yeah. are coming back. I miss Kenny Omega, man. I oh, miss oh, Kenny you, you're Omega. going for those breadcrumbs to scrape around on the floor for what, what smells like Kenny? Can I get some Kenny breadcrumbs yeah. here, please? I, I mean, yes, uh, it, it's something to get into. But when they did that highlight package of not to get ahead of ourselves too much of the, the RH World Championship. And CM Punk was featured in there. Uh, and you're thinking, you know, if if these people were um, still on the uh, on the naughty step, as it were, then you probably would not feature them on your product at all. So I can see people putting the twos and the twos together, and hopefully getting four, but maybe getting 576. Who knows? Yeah, it's almost cruel, actually, because 
they've gone from literally no mm. mention to a bit of subtextual stuff from Paige last week to a direct mention, as you correctly point out here. And I you heard did about see that. Ace I Steel? just start recording. Yeah, Ace Steel has been released. Was it the, the Wrestling Observer? I think broke that. Um, which, yeah, Meltzer broke that I mean, one. If that's if that obviously probably seems to be very legit. If that's the case, then you're thinking we're finally seemingly getting somewhere with this the party investigation. If if you've got enough evidence to say right, well. We've got enough evidence here to say that you did this, 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 so you're getting released. You'd like to think there's a conclusion not too far away to whatever, however this all plays out. One would hope so, yeah, because, look, I'm inferring here. I have to cover my own back legally. I'm inferring from the Dave Meltzer report that he um, he actually issued on the board um, a couple of weeks back, I believe, that one person was not being particularly cooperative and the thing had been brought to a standstill. Now... That person could be Matt Jackson, it could be Nick Jackson, it could be Kenny Omega, and it might well be CM Punk. So the idea is if they were trying to treat this very delicately and trying to appease certain people who might threaten certain things, if A Steel's gone, that might be interpreted as an attack on one side of the story or something. So, mm-hmm. look, I'm trying to talk around this as much as possible, but my thinking was that Punk and Steel are obviously on one side of the sort of shoot stable war and if one of them's gone it either can't make someone happy so it'll get accelerated in the worst way possible or something might have already happened and that's the first thing to happen but my god i just need a conclusion to this one way or the other and it would appear that we are going to get it um so the post-match phoenix and pack start of a sort of a quiet argument about the hammer um, but they're just to quickly uh, squash their beef, uh, so to speak. Um, we get a video package of John Moxley and Hangman Page building to their match, where John Moxley talks about how he actually worked in that physical arena. And uh, Page countered by saying, Look, you're the hometown boy, but I got the better of you in that ladder exchange in the 2021 casino ladder match. Um, that in which he earned his contender spot to get to Kenny Omega last year. So a really good bit of video package here. And I'm all in favour of doing more Road 2 stuff Absolutely. on television. The, the Road 2 stuff, is, it's some of the best stuff they put out. It's, um, it's phenomenal. Every time you see one and uh, you sit down and watch it properly, it's just like, why isn't that more of this on TV? Why is it, uh, not to go on about FTR, but the, the whole Dax versus Cash, that was just amazing. Yeah. One of the best video packages I've seen in a long time. What, 12 minutes, I think it was. And I'm not saying to put all 12 minutes of these sort of videos on your weekly TV, but yeah. just a bit more of it. Because you, you're making all this great content and you're showing it to minimal amount of people. You're not maximising the exposure you can get for this, this, this phenomenal work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just very quickly as a general point on this. I understand that Dave Meltzer's reported countless times. Look, every time a video, uh, a viewing TV audience watches something that is clearly pre-taped and pre-recorded, they just think, oh, it's not live, and just switch off. And I can't. I think the audience need to be retrained. They've tried to retrain this audience into long-term storylines to believe that a, a, a satisfying outcome will be um, reached by the end um, in, in the face of so much distrust and um, in the WWE process, and they've said, look, if you believe in us, it'll be different. So I just think the audience needs to be retrained because these things are like infinitely more effective than these interrupted backstage interviews. Yeah. It's like they are produced by two different companies and the way they build their matches across the YouTube channel and these absolutely terrible backstage uh, promos. So yeah, I'm more in, like all in favor of more of this. And on the subject of these backstage interviews, and this one was actually brief to the point. It wasn't interrupted the exact way they should go. It's Tony Schiavone um, backstage with interested parties in the upcoming interim women's title match. Um, and they said one of them will be women's world champions. That's another tease as to the fact that Jamie Hayter at some point is going to turn on Britt Baker and hopefully become a babyface because she is fantastic. Um, and this proceeded, obviously, Kobe Storm defeating Hikaru Shida um, for the AEW Interim Women's Championship in about nine minutes. I would describe this match as a somewhat encouraging step forward. If you look at the action over the past four weeks, I've been intensely critical of this women's division. But ever since Tony Storm got the title, um, it's still obligatory. It's still a bit apathetic, and there's only one live in-ring segment per week. Um, But the quality is really, really improved. Tony Storm's got much to do with that, and I thought this match with Hikaru Shida was really good, really hard-hitting, really compact, 
never left the audience bored. Maybe that was to its detriment because I think if they added three extra minutes to this, it really could have registered. But the fact that they tried to rush it because they didn't want to ask the audience who've been conditioned to receive all of this is kind of an afterthought. Um, I think they wanted to rush through it a little bit. I think the selling kind of was affected as a result. Um, I think they could have lingered and made something a little bit more of this. But as it happens, it was a tidy undercard attraction that bordered on very good for me. I, you pretty much nailed exactly what I thought on this. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good TV match. And like you said, it's not often we'd say it, in, especially the age of WWE at the moment, where they're dragging out half an hour TV matches. But I wanted to see... Yes, thank you, Pollard. I have this exact same take as well. Yeah, not to say the matches that WWE are putting on, that these 30 minute matches are necessarily bad, but sometimes, you know, less is more. But no, with these, uh, with the match last night, Yoshida yeah. and Tony Storm, I, I could have done with another three, four, maybe even five minutes on top of that. I was I was really enjoying that. They're two clearly really talented ladies. I, I don't know if this was advertised ahead of time. It caught me by surprise watching it live last night because it may have been announced. Uh, yeah, I just totally missed it. So it was all like, oh, she is here. I guess Tony Storm, I'm cool with this. Because um, Hikaru Shida, I mean, you talk about the, the negative sides of the women's division in, in recent months. Just, I know obviously she went back to Japan and, and was working shots over there, but just uh, to have like minimal presence, well, no presence, zero presence on AW programming, not even referenced, and then turned up for what the, the, the four way match to crown the interim uh, champion. So I'm I'm happy to see she's back and hopefully she's sticking around for a little bit longer. Um and and yeah, I, I will happily watch her all day as I will Tony Storm. I thought these two it was a really good babyface versus babyface match. And like you mentioned, it was hard hitting as well. So it wasn't just, oh, we're the smiling good girls because we're the smiling good girls. It was like, no, I like you because we're on the, that side of the fence together, but I am gonna also try and beat the piss out of you and take that title from you or retain that title. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have to agree, obviously, because you agree with my take. But at the same time, like as much as it was really entertaining, I just thought they had so many ideas and really good ones, and they could have been developed a bit more, like Tony Storm hitting. Was it Sweet Cheeks Music, or is that some incel Reddit name that's been projected onto the move? Regardless, yeah. the one that looks like death and looks like they're snapping the neck back into to the corner but she delivered that to the outside to bump her off the apron that was such a really nice organic way to get the action to the outside in place of like the suicide dive that you see almost every single match in modern recorded pro wrestling history so it would have been nice to have seen those ideas developed a bit more but as it was this is another encouraging step in the direction of what is fast becoming a good if not pronounced enough for me women's um division um, two seconds, I need to get my notes. Yeah, Jamie Hater and Rebel come down um, in the post-match for a beatdown. This draws out Soraya, so she has a brawl with Baker. Presumably, that's going to happen at full gear. And then, to um, even up the odds, and this warms my heart, Pollard, so much, Riho and her absolutely majestic entrance theme made the save, took out um, all the heels with a dive from the top rope, getting a massive reaction in the process. And um, she's found more backup in this. Tony Storm wrestles the same heels with a new tag team partner every week and then has a match with them after some respect has been forged during their babyface tag victory. Look, it's a bit worn as a trope, which is a bit of an indictment, actually, because they've been only doing it for about five weeks. But if we can arrive at basically Rio versus everyone, even through convoluted and contrived means, I will be happy. Um, Riho had a match with Jamie Hayter late last year, so this will be the second one. It was the first time where I ever got really cross with a wrestling crowd. I'm always of the opinion that, ah, the crowd is dead. No, they're not. Just WWE gives some crap product to which they don't really want to respond. I don't believe there's a dead crowd. I believe there's a dead or uninteresting product. But Jamie Hayter versus Riho last year did not deserve to play out in front of a really uninterested backdrop. But Jamie Haight is really over now, so I've got massive expectations yeah, for next week. But then also on the flip side of that, because Jamie Haight is so over, obviously everybody kind of loves Riho, but is that to the detriment of Riho? Is that that babyface character just in the, I don't know, are the fans going to, what do they call it in WWE? Um, not create, oh my word. Basically go to Canada and everybody cheers the opposite. And it's like, it's our yes. Is, is it going to be one of those where Jamie Hayter just the, the cheers are louder for her for the the, the and especially the, the just the visual of the match the really undersized baby face and the, the big powerful powerhouse heel uh, I, 
yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to see. I think it will be a, a banger of a match. These two just natural fit together. Um, I mean, we're going to get onto NXT later, later on a separate podcast, but just Roxanne Perez and Rhea Ripley I watched this morning, and that was fun. Uh, no, no spoilers there, but that was fun. Just again, the the visuals of it, and I think that's very much Riho and, and Jamie Hater. And Jamie Hater is just on like on the crest, but uh, on the cusp of, of superstar, on the crest of a wave, on just this breakout massive act. I saw her, and then you actually was a talk. Uh, yeah, I talked to Jericho with Soraya, where she said that she can see what's happening with Jamie Hater, but she wants to prolong that babyface turn for as long as possible. And it's like, I get that you want to milk it as much as you can, but. There's, there's got to be a point you don't want to over overstay your welcome. Maybe you need to pull the trigger at some point. Um, and maybe that is around full gear time. Who knows? Yeah, I hope so because Tony Khan does have previous of adhering to long term storytelling for yeah. the sake of it at times. Um, sometimes it doesn't have to, maybe it just should be solely concentrated on the main event because I've seen so many mid card foods outstay their welcome and pushes just taking too long to gestate. So I hope that isn't the case indeed as well. Uh, we then get a video package highlighting the kingdom, which is good because it'll, um, it won't actually silence those bad faith dickheads who go, What are the casuals going to make of this? Because they'll just say whatever nonsense fits their own narrative, but regardless. Um, we do get Wardlow and Samoa Joe in response with an absolutely great promo where Samoa Joe, it's an, it's an old and tested line now, but there are six million ways to die and you chose one of the dumbest. So that was a great line from Joe who was a great promo in these contexts. And as you um, alluded to at the start of the podcast, we get Renee Paquette backstage interviewing FTR. And I mentioned last week that the sheer visual of these interviews being conducted in that specific area kind of makes me think that everyone involved is a jobber, even though they aren't. Um, but regardless, uh, Renee Paquette points out that for the fourth year running, it almost predates AEW's existence at this point. FTR have been number one contenders to the AEW titles. And they are finally addressing this um, by saying, look, obviously we want them and now is the time. Uh, but before anything could be um, any challenge can be issued, uh, they are interrupted by Swerve and our glory and saying that they put their priorities ahead of AEW for too long. It's kind of your fault. You've gone bell collecting, but we are the rightful heirs to that AEW World Tag Team title. And the match in a big one in the tag team division at that is set up between FTR versus Swerve and Our Glory next week, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, I've got an indication that FTR have got at least two tag teams to run through before they actually challenge for the tag team titles. So I expect some shenanigans will play out, but at the very least, they are recognizing that FTR have deserved it through their own metrics, AEW's own metrics for what, eight months? It's, it's ridiculous. It's like it, the, the elephant in the room, the biggest elephant in the room over that company, I feel like, for the last, like you said, eight months or whatever. I think April the 6th, I believe it is, was when FTR became the number one contenders for the AEW Tag Team Championships. And here we are, we're recording this, the 19th of October, and they've not had a, a shot at that, that prize. It's just, it's ridiculous. I don't know. I don't care how you try and explain around it. It's like, no, nah, it's, it's, it's very poorly handled. And especially when they are like white hot, they're, they're, they're the, the greatest tag team in the world um right now they're they've been on, on a tear the matches they've been putting on the matches with the briscoes were phenomenal the matches that dax has had his singles matches the maps with cash as well it's just like you've got all of this goodwill towards ftr all of this buzz around ftr and you use them fleetingly and you don't use them to challenge for your top tag titles even though your own ranking system has them at number one for all of this time but hey that's that's in the past that's hopefully going to be uh, remedied and yeah, the, the match against the uh, Swerve Our Glory, which I still hate that name, but that match is going to be a great match. And I, I, I like the uh, the interactions between Keith Lee and, and Swerve as well with this. Uh, Keith Lee yeah. basically apologising for it felt like the older big brother apologising for his chopsy younger younger kid sort of thing. Like, oh, sorry about him, but I, I'd always be a banging match. Yeah, absolutely. If I was going to play devil's advocate, right? What's happened is that. Two separate developments have kind of threatened to get in the way of one another in which two really popular babyface teams have caught fire at the exact same time. And Tony Khan has had to make a decision about which one to go with. And they both get kind of similarly loud reactions in the arenas. But as far as my understanding goes, the acclaim probably do better on TV with the idea being that, right, okay, if I can placate fans of FTR by having them do extracurricular um, forbidden door tag reigns, 
and then have the acclaimed um, reign with the AEW tag team titles. I get to have my cake and eat it too. So I think that's where Tony Khan's been coming from this entire time. But ultimately, don't have FTR ahead of the acclaimed the entire time as your number one contenders. Just seems like such an easy mistake to avoid. But as you said, it is eventually appearing anyway to be remedied. The fact that the conversation is happening, even if they lose, is encouraging because it just means that they know. Um, we get another backstage interview, this time conducted by Alex Marvez. Um, and at least it's not interrupted there doing this sort of like UFC adjacent, you've agreed to talk to promote a match or whatever. Um, I didn't necessarily need a rematch to Jay Lethal versus Darby Allen, but if it gets rid of this mid-card flavoured heel trio, then I'm all for it. Um, Alan says he wants a rematch. Uh, rematch. Easy for me to say. Uh, says that he would beat Lethal over and over and over again. And Dud said that they were in contact with someone who was aware of what um, Darby Allen's weaknesses are, and they know what it is. Um, so that's maybe something to um, look out for when the match eventually happens. Um, lethal cheap shots, Alan, and in something that looks stupid until it kind of doesn't for me, traps him under um, a shutter, which doesn't look like it's choking the life out of Alan, but it is enough to subdue him before the figure four leg lock. So I thought that was creative, and kind of thank God it happened because I didn't take this shit yeah, thing I, I seriously. Thought at the all. the end result, the visual of the shutdown on Darby Allen with the figure four lock, and I thought that looked great. It was just the watching that shutter kind of slowly come down bit was like, oh, this doesn't look all that great. So if you just, uh, you can edit this smartly on when any video highlight packages you run back for to promote the match where you just have that end visual and you'll be fine and everybody will, it'll be completely forgotten about. Um, yeah, it, also you have the the logic around that this is, there's no physicality on this. We've agreed to all of this. And it's like, well, the dudes ended up but you know, trapped under a, a shutter locked in a figure four. Is that not physicality? No, or is this just that's all right? He's a heel, we can get away with this. Because surely, if this has been agreed to, then there's got to be some sort of repercussions if you break that agreement. I maybe I'm overthinking that. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, because what happened, um, and I use this analogy quite a lot, um, but regardless, at um, all out 2021, the young bucks were ordered to defend the titles in a steel cage because Cutler, Callis, and uh, Nakazawa had interfered far too often throughout the match. So in his off-screen role as the shoot general manager of AEW, Tony Khan said, enough, this can't go on, it's getting preposterous, it's not fair, so therefore in your match there'll be no interference whatsoever. He's already set the, uh, the precedent that he's kind of a babyface or impartial GM mercifully off screen so as much as i rate tony Khan as a booker when he's in the groove i don't want to see him on tv at all no. but yeah the, uh, the precedent has been established that these things will not do and they can't go on for too long and yet because it facilitates north american tv wrestling storytelling this kind of heel interference goes on and on and on unchecked and unpunished and yes no i don't think you're being pedantic at all Pollard. it really kind of winds me up as well because what's stopping Every heel exactly. just beating up a baby face yeah, before. Especially those heels that are in factions like this, where it's like, oh, we can just go and do a three on one assault. It's fucking, why not? Yeah, just get Satnam next week to make it even easier for Jay Lethal to win the eventual match. So, yeah, there needs to be sanctions. They need to tighten up everything, I find, even when Dynamite is a great show, which this was, as exemplified by an absolutely fantastic segment um, between. Uh, Lord William Regal and MGF. A quick, minor, pedantic criticism I threatened to make yesterday. They advertised MGF as we hear from. What was he going yeah, to do on the no. show if he wasn't going to interrupt William Regal? You know what I mean? That was a little minor detail. I expect more of AEW, and we hold them to a bigger, higher standard, yada, yada, yada. But regardless, MGF does not give Regal the chance to talk, and instead he tells them the story of when MGF was kind of... Um, I will not do this justice, and it was a bit long, but the general gist, and it's incredible, is that MJF tells the story of when he was first starting out, um, his trainers, one of which was Brian Myers, the name of the other guy escapes me, I apologize, um, recognized, yeah, Pat Buck, yes, thank you, um, recognized that he was great, he was a prodigy immediately, and they used their connections to say, look, um, MJF can be an extra for you, 
like seeing a tryout match. We know how these things work. And apparently he impressed William Regal um, so much during the match itself that he said, right, come backstage with me, sunshine. Three minutes, drop a promo, blow me away. And in fact, William Regal was said to have been blown away, so much so as I said to MJF, every single month I want you to send me a match and a promo. And for the first two months, William Regal was very appreciative and said, great, great, keep working hard, do it again. Then by the third month, he said, look, the internal guidelines have changed. We are only looking for the top tier stars. Um, come back when you really think um, you're going to be one of them because at the minute you won't. MGF with some very heavy words said that he was so despondent um, by this ostensible rejection and that he actually wanted to kill himself. And when William Regal finally responded, he said, look, you were just a young kid. When I was 16, I was getting beaten to a bloody pulp by grown men in sort of grim holiday camps just to get a look into this business. And you don't know how lucky you've had it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be Big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Don't know how fast you've progressed. You should be grateful for that. And I'm glad that I lit the fire under you because that's what I intended to do all along. And the general gist is that Regal is kind of challenging MGF here um, maintaining what he'd been done, doing the whole time, apparently by email in his capacity um, as a scout um, or chief scout for WWE. And he's got MGF so riled up here and it's great because MGF kind of turns baby face and then you worry about the reaction that Regal's going to get. And then he's so fantastic. The delivery is so organic, animated. You can tell he's absolutely loving delivering all of this material that he gets the baby face reaction as well. It just instantly feels like this special thing. But ultimately, this all leads to the main event revelation from MGF um, after he did not take the opportunity to blindside Regal from behind. Um, because he wants Regal, to this day, to respect him for getting it done on his own terms and not taking any shortcuts. Yeah, this is fantastic. I, I think one key element as well is just all of the, the verbiage from Regal was all delivered with a wry smile as well. Just this, it was just, it was just the the facials were great, the words themselves, the delivery, uh, and the fact that like. Who knows how true these stories are, but you can easily get on board with the with what Max is saying. That like, I fully believe this probably happened, even though I'm sure there's some semblance of truth in there, but it's not quite as uh, paint by numbers as, it, as as he delivered it. I'm sure, but it was it was great. It was just two very um, exceptional talkers talking exceptionally well and making you want to see 
I mean, I want to see Regal versus uh, versus MJF at this point. It's like, look, yeah, yeah, I have the yeah, exact same thought. I, I want to see anything involving these two, but also more importantly, it made me want to see how this. Obviously, we'd see it later in the night, but how this would develop where it pertains to MJF and the. The, the casino chip uh, and what he's going to do with this, how he's going to earn Regal's respect. Is he really wanting to earn Regal's respect or is this just MJF talking the talk and he's going to, you know, swerve us over and um, just being under the under, hand heel and uh, take advantage of a situation that, that will present itself later in the evening or in another week. And it is, you, you come away from it being amazed by how great professional wrestling television can be. And also, more importantly, you have these questions going forward that you want to see more from all of this involving all of these moving tools around Jeff Regal of the AW World Title of Moxie of, of course, was Hangman Page, but that's 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 uh, another discussion for, for later on. But yeah, it was just it was great. It was brilliant. Uh, it put me up massively when I was watching this live last night, at whatever it was, maybe two two a.m. at this point, and it's like oh, I'm, I'm now all of a sudden I'm awake, like I've had like a, a big shot of caffeine, brother. But yeah, it was, it was brilliant. It was great. I, I, those segments that we'll go back and watch. Yeah, time like. Yeah, since day one, MJF has always grasped that which so few others do, that it's episodic TV, it never stops. You need to build interest in what you're going to do next week. With the stipulations with Cody and with so much else, all the drama and the pinnacle and that led to the pinnacle, he knows how to make you very invested in what he does. He's the best serial storyteller in professional wrestling for me right now. Uh, we get a brief... Um, again, crib from the road to more of this, and it feels like it's becoming an actual established AEW trope where we get a glimpse of um, Dalton Castle um, before Renee Paquette backstage interviews the acclaimed and Billy Gunn, and they talk about um, the title versus trademark match with the acclaimed um, versus Tony Nese and Josh Woods. Everyone now going by the varsity athletes and if they claimed win, which they will, they'll get to use their scissoring antics again. I feel like this is incredibly rushed. Surely the whole idea to get um, the varsity athletes over as these dickhead heels who are depriving you of fun things, that they would taunt over the course of a few weeks and um, the acclaimed with them doing the scissor chant and um, the acclaimed not being able to do it. The fans in that particular arena being, oh, God, I really wanted to do that. And then it would build to this lovely little mini feud payoff three or four weeks later when everyone in that arena can then do it. What's the point if people can't get in on the fun to build towards the pop? I agree with that. I, I also think back? that the whole legal argument is daft, but hey, it's press the rest of that. I like to slide to an extent. Um, the... I really like Josh. Josh Woods is just a dude. I, I can another person I can watch all day. I just I think he's great in ring, but I, I don't know. With me, the first thing that kind of jumped out of all this was, but we're going. You've got the varsity blondes, and you're gonna. Like, I, it just seemed like a daft name to to kind of throw out there. Of all the names you could have chose, why? You, I'm not. I mean, I'm not gonna go on like a Vince Man thing. Like, well, we've got one. I don't know. One Chris, so you can't have another Chris. So we've got one Cage, we can't have another. But. I don't know. We've got all these tag team names. You got what varsity athletes when you've got the varsity blondes. Maybe if you, like I said, this is a bit rushed, but you could have dragged it out where, as well as the varsity athletes, kind of milking the scissor chance for a few weeks. You have them run through a few kind of lower level baby face teams like the varsity blondes, who are you know the spunky underdog, but you know uh, typical rah rah baby faces, and just have established varsity athletes as you know. They're not just some jabronis you've been thrown together with Mark Sterling, who they're just here for a couple of weeks for the uh, the acclaimed to beat and to take back their scissors. It was it was what it was. I think the match will be will be fine because Tony Nese is clearly very good in ring. Like I said, Josh Woods, I am a huge fan of Josh Woods between the ropes. Um, he's just a monster, a natural athlete, a the athlete per se. But yeah, it's it is what it is. It's my, my thought on all of this. Yeah, I don't know as well why you'd want to take the Varsity Blondes name off them because exactly. surely they're stigmatised as total geeks at this point and you're just going to think of this tag team as geeks as well. The whole thing's very, very strange. But look, at least the top end of the tag team title picture looks to be trending in the right direction. We get more Renee Paquette. Good, she's amazing. Um, and she interviews Brian Danielson and Wheeler Utah. And this doubles as exposition to recap the events of this sort of sprawling storyline, and which appears to have taken a twist um, Danielson puts over Daniel Garcia is the one man he's ever considered in his career who could one day be better than him, even the best wrestler ever. While Wheeler Utah 
his other prodigy, his other rookie, is sat there steaming. And I wish this was more drawn out. I wish the suspense of this moment. I love the idea of the backstage sit down, but if you can't let it stew and simmer and that tension just bubble, like the Jim Ross ones of yore, then it doesn't really work. This is fine for what it was and intriguing, um, but basically it just was a bit abbreviated for me. But the general gist is that Utah um, is really pissed off. There's obviously a bit of jealousy here as well, but he claims that the real reason why he's pissed off is that Danielson still wants Garcia, but he can't see through what Garcia actually is. Um, I'm very intrigued here. Is the ultimate battle for Daniel Garcia's soul still raging? Uh, is Wheeler Utah going to be the new sports entertainment guy? There's different directions all of this can take. And it felt like I kind of knew last week where we were going. And I was interested enough. But this is a bit different. And I'm really yeah, quite Yeah, I, I like the, I think you was great. Just his, again, facials visually. Just you could see, you could see that the proverbial steam coming out of his ears of like, you really saying this? Well, especially when I'm sat right here next to you. Like, come on, man. Don't do me like that. Um, but I, I think it, it plays into Danielson though really well. Like, especially when Danielson first came into the company and he was just like, it, 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 he's not necessarily a baby face or heels. It's just the case of, I want to see who's the best wrestler is. I want to beat them in a variety of ways each single week because I am the alpha male of this, of the actual technical wrestling. And so Danielson, as whether he was a babyface or a heel, he always appreciates good wrestlers. And that's his thing. And he's seen Daniel Garcia, and he's not afraid to say that this guy's going to be really good. He could be better than me. And he isn't necessarily that, that Danielson character isn't bothered who he offends by saying that. And in this case, it just so sort of happens to be like, you know, his stable mate, his, uh, his protege in, in waiting there in Wheeler, Utah. Um, I think it worked really well. I mean, if we do get some sort of Danielson and Utah match as well again, um, that's something I'm not exactly against. And it's like you said, we thought last week this was all going one way the last few weeks, the the the, uh, the battle for Daniel Garcia's soul, as, as you put it. Uh, and now it's like, okay, well, Wheeler, nobody puts Wheeler in the corner, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always, always up for a Dirty Dancing reference. What an absolutely incredible film. Not quite incredible, but nonetheless very fun was Chris Jericho retaining the ROH world title against Dalton Castle. This was ridiculous and yet by the end quite close and dramatic i think they've really tried to play around here and they had lots of fun putting this together and it seems very ambitious ambitious on paper um, but it all kind of came together in this really quite charming way um where it was pure comedy um jake hager i think right i know the rap on hager it's unfashionable to like him and yes he doesn't blow me away in singles matches but him in backstage interviews him in brawls He's an asset. He's not. I'm not asking him to be a main eventer, nor is AEW asking me to take him seriously as a main eventer, but he's really fun in his certain roles. And him beating the living crap out of the boys and taking his hat back, which he loves, amused me to absolutely no end. So that was a nice bit of fun interaction with the seconds on the outside. Um, there was some mind games with Castle and Jericho um, prior to this, and then the match got a little bit serious um, once the sort of comedic overtones um, had um, faded a little bit when they needed to get more of a reaction and more drama. They got a very um, loud, this is awesome chant by the finish. I wouldn't necessarily think it was awesome, but like they got some real earnest drama out of this like incredibly entertaining, if very daft, dynamic in the end. And there's a really good sequence where um, Chris Jericho fools Castle and gets the um, Judas effect for the um, finish. Again, we'll, we'll get to NXT in a different pod, but watching NXT this morning, there was a segment of online Wagner backstage, and I just thought, I'm getting these Jack Swagger vibes, man. I'm getting these Jack Swagger vibes. It's Jake okay, Hager, this isn't Jack Swagger, but, yeah. I, 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 but this is a match I was really looking forward to. I just, I love Don Castle, and I, I wanted to see him presented in a way where, you know, he's going to get a solid amount of time to do something, to, to wrestle and to also bring his act and that flavour and that charisma and personality. And this kind of, for people who haven't seen Don Castle before, this was pretty much a great example of what, for better or for worse, what he is, what he brings to the table. He can be a great, serious wrestler. He's got the whole amateur background. He's got some mean, mean, mean suplexes, but also he's fun. He is the, the party peacock and he's got the boys there. I just thought this was a really fun match. It was... 
they, they straddled the line nicely between silly, between too silly and serious. So I, I thought they they gave just about the right amount of comedy. And when it needs to kick up a gear, they, they, they did kick up a gear with the in-ring action. And, and that, the juice fell up brilliant. It looked proper brutal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in the post-match, and again, they kind of made you want to see MGF versus William Regal earlier in the night. And now yeah. I want to watch Chris Jericho, per his mission statement, wrestle former ROH champion Jerry Lynn. Because as he said the other week um, in the post-match promo after he beat Bandito, no one is safe. He hates all of Ring of Honor. It's a disgrace to what he thinks wrestling is. So he's going to beat up every ring announcer, every former ROH champion, and indeed every commentator. So he goes after Ian Riccoboni, drags him to the stage, but um, Jerry Lynn, who obviously works as a backstage agent for um, AEW, tries to make the save. You get a very gentle, but you know, effective enough power, uh, pile driver, um, a tombstone, which is one of Jerry Lynn's own signatures, um, and a nice bit of disrespect, in, uh, insult to injury, heat angle here. Um, look, they've said Chris Jericho is going to fight every last ROH champion. Obviously, that's not going to happen. There are former ROH champions who like tragically passed away. There are for, former ROH champions who hold beliefs that are not going to get them um, on TBS or TNT. But Jerry Lynn is a former ROH champion. That is a detail that I refuse, again, through absolute willful naivety, possibly. But I'm not going to let that go. I'm going to try and manifest Jericho versus Lynn into existence. Like, I imagine that they could do a road to for the ages with so many different talking heads. And they could honestly straddle the heel face divide here because Britt Baker thinks the world of Jerry Lynn. If they do like 30 talking heads from the AEW roster and say, no, Jerry Lynn's the man. Jerry Lynn was so influential. Um, Jerry Lynn is such a great mind. He's such a great guy. And then they build him up as the ultimate baby face. Jericho versus Jerry Lynn could be money. No, I, I had the exact same thought to you. I think you can handle it in a way. I think the talking heads element is great, but also you can handle it in a way like that. that well, the the Cody and Dustin match, where it's just like, has the old dog got that one last big fight in him? And I think it's, it's yeah. yeah. It, and the, the the tombstone being on the ROH title as well. So you drop in the former ROH World Champion onto that belt, the belt as well from the the glory days of Ring of Honor. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm loving all this. There was. This is the match I didn't even think of. Obviously, I knew that Jerry Lynn has, has long worked there as a producer, but it's just something that didn't come to mind. When Jericho did this whole, I'm going to be every ring of the champion, my first one that came to mind was, I really hope you get Don Castle. We've had that, and now it's like, can we get Jerry Lynn? In a year where Rick Flair's had his final match, brother, and Ricky Stevens well to have a match four years out. Yeah. And you've got Jericho, what, 50, putting in some of the best work of his career. Uh, certainly some of the best work in a long time. Uh, and you've got, I mean, Rain Mysterio at 50, do put these matches together. Rob Van Dam still around somewhere in, what, nowhere, Rob Van Dam wrestling ball. And you're thinking, this is Jerry Lynn, I don't know how old he is, I'm going to guess early 50s, maybe 55. Uh, like, it's not, and he looks in pretty decent nick as well. Uh, so it's not out of the bounds of reality that, okay, maybe... You tease me here. This is a sort of thing where if you're teasing me with this match, you have to give it to me now. I don't want to. I don't want to. You've put this idea in my head now, Jerry Lynn and and Chris Jericho. So please don't not deliver on that. He's fifty nine, but he hasn't taken some bumps. So maybe we'll just call. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's a wrestler age of fifty. So we'll just absolutely yeah, go with the fact that it's happening. It's absolutely happening. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's Davey Richards. There. I'm sure Davey Richards. It would be such yeah, a sure ridiculous. He, I'm sure he actually took Twitter as well to kind Say of again? offer it out there as well. I'm sure Davey did. Um, which I'd be up with that. Why the hell not? Um, he's not into being yeah. a television wrestler. Apparently, that's not his ethos, which makes sense. He's a very serious guy. Um, but surely for a one shot, surely for a one shot, you get him in. He's still working. Andy Murray's kink earlier this year um, in the office. I sit about three or four feet away from him and he's parallel to me. And every time I come back in the office, if I've gone out for lunch or whatever, and he's on his lunch, he was just watching the Davy Richards yeah. indie run from earlier this year. So he really is a big Davy Richards guy. And look, I think it'd be really fun indeed if in fact they go in that direction and we get a very quick um, 
video package of Luchasaurus claiming that if you've got gold, he's coming after you. I love this, even if there's no intention of doing a title match, because gold and championships should be at the forefront of everyone's mind, irrespective of whether in the middle of a, of a grudge feud or whatever. So I like that, even if it won't go anywhere. In fact, I like it more if it doesn't go anywhere. Um, we get a backstage segment with Jade Cargill um, demanding the return of her TBS title. Um, Jade says to Tony Khan, looking directly at the camera, I'll hijack your show for 60 minutes. And that ultimately is uh, a more a more believable threat that Tony Khan wouldn't like than his um, ideal because he can't sanction the thought of women getting 30 <laughs> minutes on his shows, let alone 60. But he will take that threat very seriously indeed. And now oh, we get to the goddamn world yeah. title match that we have to talk about. And the worst thing about it, other than the fact that Hangman Page suffered a potentially serious injury, um, the reports following which um, Dave Meltzer reports that other than having a concussion, he's fine. That surely indicates that he's actually able to walk around. The fact that he got stretched out and was unable to move. People thought the guy might have been mm. paralyzed. It was terrifying. Um, when that happened, but before that happened, the first three seconds of this match, I thought, right, five stars. I just thought you've set the perfect tone here. Hangman Page as the challenger uh, makes his entrance. Uh, John Moxley's the champion, as his tradition starts to come through the crowd. Hangman Page goes to meet him in the crowd, and they start windmilling at each other in the crowd behind them. This is so well shot, go ballistic. They're standing up within three seconds, like. I'm just going crazy at this. And then they intensify it when Paige does an Orihara moonsault off a bleacher onto Moxley. And it's one of those where the connection isn't ideal, but the velocity is so fast that Moxley just kind of falls. So it just still kind of works. And they brawl their way back to the ring. Um, Moxley's busted. Hangman Page knows how to bleed and to play with blood because he's just drilling punches into that head to splatter the plasma everywhere. Uh, we go to picture-in-picture, picture, which kind of dulls it a little bit, but they're pros. They know exactly how to get it back on track. They trade some disgusting bombs, like um, uh, Deadeye on the apron. Um, they are just larrying at each other right in the face, right in the mush. It just feels like so charged, so competitive, so heated. And then, after the King Kong lariat, Hangman Page goes to perform a backflip bump, something in a really creepy, eerie way, goes awry because you can't really see how it happens. It looks like the most regulation bump that he's done a million times, and the referee, to his credit, Paul Turner, immediately senses that something's wrong and brings the medical staff into the ring. There's some confusion, and they have to call off the match. They have to call off the match as a stoppage. Um, it's all very grim. It's very bleak. Um, because I'm a wrestling fan, part of me thinks, is this a work? Is this a work? It might be the kind of thing that isn't advised, but look, it would be creative. Um, it soon becomes apparent that it is not a work at all. Taz is shaken beyond belief to scramble for time because there were, I believe, eight minutes left of the broadcast. They run down the Rampage card. They look to go back to the ring. They go back to the commentary team because they're still scrambling for what to do. Evidently, as it happens, um, John Moxley brings out MGF. Assumedly, this is going to happen in a slightly different form. Um, he capped because they announced the main event. Um, MGF says that he's going to cash in his chip, add full gear to prove to all the doubters that he's going to do it clean in the middle of the ring. I don't believe you, but that's the story that they are telling, and I am into it, into the mystery. But yeah, devastating end to what could have been an all-timer of a dynamite, and we just hope that Hangman Page is great. And again, the fact that the match is trending towards something absolutely special is not really something I was gutted about, in truth. But it still is a damn shame because this was going to be very good. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, we like, hope Hangman is uh, able to recover as quickly and as fully as possible. These we've seen with if it is a concussion, which seemingly it is. Like Adam Cole's been out for however many months now with because like, people hear concussion and think like, oh, it's just yeah. a concussion. It's like no, these things can. Right, uh, Mick Foley's daughter. Uh, yeah, Noel Mick Foley's daughter has just massive issues with any sort of light, like a, a good couple of years removed from getting a concussion. So these are things that aren't just oh, a bit of a headache. Um, so hopefully that's a, a full swift one for him. But the match itself, the energy. I mean, not to throw too much on it, but the vibe for the first few minutes, the brawling in the crowd, give me Montreal vibes, Brett and Sean. Obviously, people talk about the, the choice. The best match 
overshadowed by the, the, the finished Montreal screw job, but that match, the energy, the, the brawl in the beginning, like, they went for probably 10 minutes before they even got into the ring. Uh, I'm not saying this was quite that level, but it was that sort of vibe, and obviously in the hometown as well, the Moxie, the crowd, like you, you talk about, were just rapid for it, uh, and it was, it was building to a really, really nice match. It was a really nice match, and then just it got like, tailed. Um, and like you, because we've been conditioned over the years with mainly WWE for so long, for that 20-year monopoly of Oh, right, okay, this is wrestling TV, okay. Uh, and also as well, like I said, Paul Turner did such a great job, and, and Dr. Samson, that they were so quickly on it. And that also felt like, well, if they're doing it that quick, then surely it's like, you know, it's all the work, brother, because it's what, yeah. And it just felt the way things were being fumbled, the Coventry team fumbled it a bit, Moxie fumbled things a bit, dropped an F-bomb. I don't know if that made it on TV, watched it on fight, there was an F-bomb. Yes. And an S. Of course, I think there might be two S's. Uh, and the way even MJF was a little ruffled when he came out do you think are they doing a really bad job of making us believe this is all you know just part of the storyline but it's like clearly it's apparent that no hangman's uh, uh yeah he's, he's it's, it's not right with him and chris nowinski i saw on twitter who obviously is a concussion expert that's the field he went into after he himself had to retire with all of that and he's kind of like one of the go-to voices on anything related to that in any sports and he put it himself about how it was such a um non-serious move really it wasn't like some death defying you know whatever it's it's a, a relatively regular move that you see people take it's just he's, he's gone for the clothesline it's supposed to be the the, the spin bump the Marty Jannetty bump by what we say also Rikishi did a pretty badass one of those over the years and it's just to watch it on the first watch and even on replays it's like it, you, you struggle to like where's this gone wrong and it's just unfortunately one of those things but I thought that you had to give AEW credit for how they thought on their feet with you but you said what seven eight minutes of tv time left to fill and it's like right not only have you got concerns for one of your top top stars not only you've got to be careful to how you shoot this just in case of how serious this could be but then you've got on the fly you've got one person who's bloody and just in the, in the middle of what a 15 minute match he's gone through he has to cut some promos and it has to make sense and tie into whatever the great picture is you've got to push mjf out there sooner than you needed to if he was indeed you just come out at the end of the, that, that match you've got to throw regal down there the commentators have got to fill the time like you said taz was all over the place which is fully understandable um and it's just it's a really unfortunate end to a, a very good episode of the dynamite but we now know at least where we're going full gear whether that was intended to happen in a fashion that it ultimately happened in I, I doubt it but we now know that mjf is going to be taking the high road seemingly but as you said i believe when i see it yeah, I will absolutely believe it when I see it. Um, let us know what you all thought um, of Dynamite. I think there's just nothing more to say about that main event. And if the boring take is what you get, it's just the only nice one you're going to get. We all just want Amman Page to not have a goddamn the worst tier concussion in wrestling. And we hope that he makes the swiftest recovery imaginable. But yeah, let us know your thoughts on a cursed, if blinding, Dynamite. If we've been too effusive or whatever, let us know under the Twitter link to this podcast at What Culture WWE. And whilst you're there, you can follow the great man Andrew Pollard at uh, at Culture Left Peg. Which uh, footballer do you think has got the most cultured left peg? Oh, if I take myself out the equation, if I take Rex and Carl Conley out the equation, I Pavel never, but then he's kind of like both footed. Um, so that's kind of cheating. Frank Bohr for a centre half was a hell of a cultured player. Uh, yes, great. Yeah. That is a great, great shout. You can follow me at M. Cedric. Once again, you can follow the entire team at What Culture WWE for more podcasts, news, articles, lists, everything else. Uh, Paul and myself will be back later on today with a review of NXT. So stick around for that. And thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to us. It's always massively appreciated. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365 day returns.